we saw an opportunity and it's sort of the, the first hints of bringing in competitive carriers and trying to, to get um, more competition locally. Um, we started thinking about how Pasadena could implement a fiber network here. This is episode 265 of the Community Broadband Bits podcast from the Institute for Local Self-Reliance. I'm Lisa Gonzalez. Lori Sandoval from Pasadena, California, talks with Christopher in this episode about the community's fiber optic network. In addition to serving the municipality's needs, the network offers dark fiber connectivity and is branching into other services for local businesses and entities. In this conversation, Lori explains how Pasadena got started in fiber optics, how they funded the investment, and where they're headed next. As a reminder, this great conversation with Lori is commercial-free, but our work at ILSR does require funding. Please take a moment to contribute at ILSR.org. If you've already contributed, thanks. Now here's Christopher with Lori Sandoval from Pasadena, California. Welcome to another edition of the Community Broadband Bits podcast. I'm Chris Mitchell with the Institute for Local Self-Reliance, and today I'm speaking with Lori Sandoval, the Telecom and Regulatory Administrator for the City of Pasadena. Welcome to the show. Oh, thank you. I'm glad to be here. So for people who only know of Pasadena in terms of beautiful weather and thinking about the the lovely uh, beaches and, and whatnot of Southern California, uh, how would you describe it? Pasadena is a really interesting community. It's a uh, a little bit city and a little bit suburbia. Um, we are located uh, north of downtown, um, have some world-class institutions here, Caltech, JPL, uh, Rose Bowl, of course, Art Center, School of Design, um, and a very vibrant local economy and social scene. So it's a, it's a, it's a fun place to be. And you have a municipal electric utility, I understand. We do, um, both water and power. Um, and we do other things like we have one of the few city health departments in California. Excellent. Well, let's talk a little bit about how Pasadena got involved with uh, fiber optics. Where, where did that come from? You know, there were a, a couple of different things that, that came together um, back in the mid-90s mid was the initial consideration. Um, our electric utility was using copper communications lines to link its facilities for a variety of monitoring purposes and finding that they needed to do more and that those, those copper lines weren't really meeting their needs. Um, at the same time, we saw an opportunity and it was sort of the, the, first, um, the first hints of bringing in competitive carriers and trying to, to get um, more competition locally, um, so we were beginning to see some of the first municipal networks or um, muni-sponsored network initiatives, um, at least in our part of, of California. Those things came together. Um, we started thinking about how Pasadena could implement a fiber network here. Well, let's let's just pause for a second. I mean, I've I've really looked into Santa Monica. And mm -hmm. I was just fascinated at the level of community involvement and uh, the CIO at the time was just really interested in thinking about this. Were there any, you know, was there any specific people that were driving this forward? Um, or was this something that was just kind of, was it bursting out of Caltech, for instance, or how did it come about? No, I think it was, it was more of a um, behind the scenes or quieter initiative with a variety of city folks driving it. Um, 
looking at how this could bring benefits to the community, certainly. So it wasn't solely focused internally from from that perspective. Um, But then we started reaching out to identify, you know, were there uh, folks at Caltech or JPL and other local institutions and businesses who were interested? And and we did end up garnering uh, quite a bit of support from those quarters during that outreach. And and were there kind of public meetings about it then, or is this more like, uh, um, hey, you know, we're thinking about doing this. Let's just get together and chat about it. We did a formal business plan, not the traditional community meetings, but lots of um, one-on-one interviews and discussions. And then we did present the the, the business case for the network to the city council. So that was a, a public forum for discussion. Less community focused than some initiatives, but uh, that was an element there. And so what was the the business plan then? What was uh, the focus that you were um, uh, proposing to do? What we were looking at from a business perspective, um, could we make an investment in this infrastructure and create a return on investment and satisfy some needs of the city internally? So there was definitely a cost offset aspect to it. Uh, a, A big factor underlying that business plan was the assumption that we would be leasing fiber to the private sector, to uh, a competitive carrier, and that that would bring revenue in for the project, but it would also foster competition locally and support uh, what we were hearing from the business community about needs that may not have been met. And you were looking primarily at um, connecting some municipal anchor institutions and hitting some key areas of town, but you weren't proposing to actually go to residents and things like that, right? That's correct. Um, what we ended up doing was a, a 25-mile network that um, passes along some major corridors of the city, um, primarily in co- commercial areas, and uh, of course picks up all of the, the power substations, for example, uh, across the city. Um, but uh, it did not have a residential focus. Well, and I would guess that you probably do a fair amount of water monitoring too. I think, you know, people like uh, us up here in Minnesota tend to forget that water is pretty important uh, to keep track of down there. It is. However, um, unlike power, revenue on the water side is more constrained. And so I I would have to say on the water side, we're doing less from a fiber-connected perspective um, than we do on the electric side. Well, yeah, I, <laughs> I'm not too surprised to hear that because um, it seems like that's true of a lot of places. And sometimes I hear people complaining that that the tools used to try and track the water aren't nearly as as good as have been de- developed for the electric side. Um, but I'm, I guess I'm, I'm curious. Would you say that 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 network that you move forward with? I mean, it's going on 20 years. Was that a success? I, I would say so. Yes, we've accomplished much of what we set out to accomplish in that initial uh, kind of business plan and in terms of um, facilitating self-reliance for city operations, but also filling some needs that um, were not being met in the community. Um, And that ranges from bringing that competitive carrier in and making uh, a wider variety of services available to businesses locally, um, but also um, meeting some of the dark fiber needs of our local institutions and uh, and offsetting a variety of expenses at the city level uh, or improving connectivity um, by moving to fiber and off of copper. 
And to clarify, when you talk about the competitive carrier, that's a a company that basically wanted to try to deliver services to some of the businesses in your community, but it needed um, access to municipal fiber to do it because they didn't want to build their own fiber. Is that right? That's correct. Yeah. Okay. I think it's it's always worth noting that because we often, those of us advocating for municipal networks are sometimes accused of being anti-business, which I find deeply ironic since the reason most local governments have gotten into this is specifically to support local businesses and give opportunities to um, other businesses to try and connect them. One of the reasons that we wanted to have you on was to talk about where the network is going because, um, you, as you said, the network has succeeded uh, and now it sounds like you're getting a little bit more ambitious. Yes. Um, I, I think we initially installed our network in 1998 and 1999 and we built incrementally but very slowly um, over the you know another 15 or so years. Um, but starting in about 2015, uh, we've really tried to expand our view of uh, what the network can do and, and where we can go. Um, and this falls in a couple of different areas. So one is just a, a recognition of the number of things or targets that we might connect to fiber um, that would be of benefit to city operations, and that reflects the evolution of technology. Um, so we're, we're doing a lot more connecting of devices in the field, and we need to get fiber to more places to do that. Um, the other aspect of it is, is that competitive carrier meets some but not all needs uh, in, the, in the community, and there was an opportunity for us to use fiber as a, uh, in, a, in a creative way, as a creative tool to facilitate economic development and to uh, assist with business attraction and retention. So that's sort of the area that we're moving in into now with a focus on a lot of new fiber installation over the past two years. One of the things that, that we've seen with uh, cities that started off like yours is that uh, the focus on dark fiber gets you so far. There's a, you know some businesses, often more data-intensive businesses, that they're looking for dark fiber, but a lot of businesses are just thinking, you know, I just want a basic connection. And uh, is that what you're, you're doing more of now is um, you're starting to offer some of that, um, I guess, in some ways you might think of it as, it's, it's obviously a lit service, but I think of it as more just a, a basic connection to folks that don't want to have to deal with dark fiber. That's correct. Um, we are looking now more at how we can provide a, a transport service or so leveraging uh, a DWDM or, or dense wave division multiplexing network that we have up and running to meet city needs, we're leveraging capacity in that uh, to carry traffic from businesses that may not be getting what they need from other providers and, um, and, and partnering with uh, an ISP that has a local data center, so really providing an alternative internet connectivity for businesses, particularly those that, that may not be able to get that currently from another provider. And are you also seeing the need for businesses that aren't even really looking for internet? They just want to connect themselves to different branch locations, maybe? We typically have provided a a dark fiber solution in those instances and aren't seeing as much of a a need for a lit connection, but to create a campus network. We tend to be serving entities like Caltech and JPL and and the the local art center, College of Design, um, with dark fiber. 
One of the things that I'm always curious about is uh, some of the the numbers around this in terms of uh, the revenues that you have been seeing from leasing the dark fiber and the the costs of expanding the network. So I'm going to go back to the beginning of of our network development. Um, Something that was important for us was that we were we didn't go out, we didn't issue bonds to finance the network. We um, looked at some internal reserve funds that were essentially loaned to the project. And so it was very important for us to, uh, when we did the, the dark fiber lease to that competitive carrier, to, to be able to pay back that loan. Our initial budget was uh, $1.8 million. Um, we were able to pay back that, that internal loan uh, within about 13 months of leasing the fiber. Um, and so our revenue stream was very heavy on the front end. And, and at this point, we are bringing in revenues of about 480000 annually. Um, so it's a, it's a fairly steady revenue stream right now. We are looking at you know, some of the things that, that we've just talked about of, of growing that revenue stream over time again. And what kind of expenses are you seeing to do the, the connections that you were talking about adding on to it today? We've budgeted about 600000 a year for a network expansion program. We're looking at a, essentially a five-year program um, that will increase capacity within our existing ring and then also extend fiber to places that it, it isn't currently uh, within the city. So that covers really the kind of backbone and mainline installations. And then we really budget on a connection-by-connection basis when we bring on new commercial buildings or additional city facilities and the like. And when you bring on a a new building, uh, let's assume it's a commercial building, um, do you charge that uh, to them right away up front or do you try to make it up over time? How do you work that out? Uh, Typically, we do try to make it up over time. You know, in order to make this a, a feasible business proposition for a, a, a local customer, they're typically not in a position to, to pay the, the full installation cost up front. And so we are recouping that over time. And do you have them in a contract then? The reason I ask is this is a, a common question because I think uh, one of the things I've seen is cities say, well, we'll just expand it at their expense. And then they find that many businesses, even if they have a sense they're going to make that money back, they're still unwilling to make that commitment. Yeah, I, we're not going to expand the network you know, by getting customers to pay, to pay up front for all of those extensions. So particularly if it's a commercial building where there's the opportunity or the possibility of serving multiple customers, then we would look at, you know, how, how can we look at this creatively so that uh, we're, not, we're not essentially killing the deal up front? You know, we, we want to make it feasible for businesses to, to proceed with our service. Um, we do capture, you know, to answer your question about an agreement, we do capture the kind of terms and conditions under which we're providing the service in a, um, a standard city agreement. Um, so we, we know that the revenue stream is going to be there over time, um, even if we're not getting the upfront costs right at the beginning of the arrangement. I'm curious if you've looked into any um, low-income housing issues, like if you have any public housing or anything um, using your fiber to try and connect them at all, or if there's a, a different solution. We've looked at it to some extent. Um, the city does not own any low-income housing developments, um, but we're very active in working with um, other entities that do. And we explored a grant program that helps fund infrastructure development, basically to extend connectivity to low-income housing developments. 
And through that evaluation, I learned that there are locally managed low-income housing developments that are that have applied for those grant funds, but it, there didn't seem to be a direct city role in that process. It really needs to be the owner of the building that leverages those funds. Yeah, that makes sense. So most of the activity that I think we're seeing where cities are getting involved in this directly, whether it's in uh, San Francisco or, or Wilson, North Carolina, have done it. It's generally to publicly owned housing stock. And so uh, if you don't have that, your your options are certainly more constrained. Well, one thing that we have focused on, sort of in, in contrast, but is, you know, is there a way for us to leverage fiber and other resources to provide connectivity to the public in general. So not necessarily uh, in housing, but in community centers and parks. And and so that's also an area where we've been been trying to do more and have been gearing up to push out uh, a Wi-Fi service that, that is backhauled over fiber, but supporting public internet access in that fashion. Great. Well, is there anything else that, that we should know about what you're working on to improve internet access in Pasadena? We also are looking at how we can work earlier in the development process. We're having something of a, of a development boom here in Pasadena, um, seeing a lot of new projects being implemented. And uh, so always trying to look for, is there a way that we can get involved in those projects early on um, to establish paths for the future, both uh, figurative and, and actual paths. So can we accommodate or can we incorporate conduit for potential f- future fiber links into commercial spaces and institutional spaces so that we're not trying to do that down the road when it's more expensive to do so? And also creating those relationships so that uh, developers and, and the folks that, that they have assisting them in projects understand that the city is a potential provider, whether it's for dark fiber or other uh, internet, more internet-related connectivity. Um, I know that there's one development in particular and and possibly others in Pasadena that are uh, pursuing wired certification, and so they're looking for that redundancy and uh, resiliency in their their building's connectedness. Um, And so that's something that we're we're trying to, uh, to explore at this point in time. Yeah, I think those those relationships are important, more important than than people sometimes realize. Um, do you have any requirements in code to, for instance, have a, a, a nice demarcation point where you can get into the building once you're ready with the fiber? No, we don't. Um, we have been working to on a more informal basis, so trying to share information um, both within departments that interact with developers and others who are implementing new projects, and um, as well as with contacts with the developers themselves. Yeah, that's something that that I've seen up here in a suburb of Minneapolis where um, they're working on getting something into code. Uh, but in the meantime, they've had really great experience just developing those discussions with the, the companies that are building um, properties, in this case, mostly apartment building type properties, to make sure that the wiring is good enough to support multiple providers that, that may be available in the future. Thank you so much for coming on and telling us more about uh, what's going on in Pasadena and good luck. Oh, thank you. And I uh, enjoyed the opportunity to, to share about the Pasadena Network. That was Lori Sandoval describing the city of Pasadena's foray into fiber optics. We have transcripts for this and other Community Broadband Bits podcasts available at muninetworks.org slash broadbandbits. 
Email us at podcast at muninetworks.org with your ideas for the show. Follow Chris on Twitter. His handle is at communitynets. Follow muninetworks.org stories on Twitter. The handle is at muninetworks. Subscribe to this podcast and the other ILSR podcasts, Building Local Power and the Local Energy Rules podcasts. You can access them on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever else you get your podcasts. Never miss out on our original research by also subscribing to our monthly newsletter at ILSR.org. Thank you to Arnie Hughesby for the song Warm Duck Shuffle licensed through Creative Commons, and thanks for listening to episode 265 of the Community Broadband Bits podcast. <laughs>